بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم الحمد لله بخير ما حمده الحامدون الحمد لله حمد الذاكرين الشاكرين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد حبيب رب العالمين وعلى آله وأصحابه وتابعيهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين In recent days, among all the among all the hubris that 
surrounds our affairs and and a lot of the nonsense that one finds in the world that we live in. There was a curious decision made by the White House and the Office of Man Management and Budget in the United States. On September 4th, President Trump and the Director of the Office of Management and Budget banned the teaching of anything related to CRS or critical or critical race studies in the US government. And the decision is actually effective in the following way because the government gets to define what falls under that large category of critical legal studies or critical race studies. So any critique of the power dynamics inspired by racial relationships, including any possible critiques of the history of white privilege can fall under that broad definition of critical race studies. Any vigorous, healthy critique of the abuses in power committed because of racial relationships in the U.S. can be thrown under that broad rubric of critical, critical race studies. And then what follows is that the president's order and the order of the director of the Office of Management and Budget is that U.S. law enforcement may not receive any training or that what whatever you identify as critical race studies may not be a part of the training that you give U.S. officers and law enforcement. According to the Trump administration, the reason for the ban is that the critical race studies teaches that the U.S. is inherently racist 
and uh, white people are racist and evil. The Trump administration actually issued a published statement in which it says that the reason we are banning critical race studies from the curriculum of law enforcement and law training um, is because Critical race studies teaches that the U.S. is inherently evil and because it teaches that white people are racist and evil. You might think that this is a minor thing, but indeed it is profoundly important at so many different levels. And it tells us a lot about us, and it tells us a lot about what we should be worried about in terms of the future, and it tells us a lot about precisely what is wrong not with just the larger scale affairs at a national level, but for us Muslims in the United States. For one, it is beyond dispute that what the White House said and the way that they characterized critical race studies as teaching that the U.S. is inherently evil and that white people are supremacist and evil is not just wrong, but fantastical. It is absolute fantasy. Critical race studies doesn't do that at all. In fact, the whole point of critical race studies is to quite simply analyze the actual role that race has played in creating and perpetuating privilege and in deconstructing the very idea of race. Because in critical legal studies, there is nothing inherently natural about racial categories. Racial categories are created by subjective human perceptions. And racial categories are created by subjective human perceptions in order to perpetuate privilege and power. So in fact, the whole point of critical race studies is to say to the extent that there is a racial problem anywhere, here are the reasons for why, why this racial problem exists and here is what we need to do in order to address this racial problem. So,
the idea that the Trump administration, the way that the Trump administration characterizes critical race studies is absurd. It's a fantasy. But we have to look at why would a political branch, the executive branch, target a scholarly methodology like critical race studies? And what does that mean for us? At one level, what this decision does is that it uses critical race studies as a leverage to mute critiques of race or attempts to analyze the power dynamics of race within the government in the United States. In other words, you are using an excuse. So whatever, whenever you want to silence the issue of race in training law enforcement, you would say, well, I'm silencing it in the name of silencing critical race studies. What is the problem with that? Note, note, that the problem with white supremacists, as is the problem with all supremacists in history, as is the problem with all fascist ideologies in history, as is the problem with all ideologies that believe that group is entitled to dominate others. Note that the problem is that white supremacists have always gravitated not towards democratic processes because dictators and tyrants and supremacists don't like democracy. What they like to do is to jump on power. Jump on power so they can dominate without having to convince. So note that increasingly, increasingly, law enforcement, police departments, various law enforcement departments, including Border Patrol, for instance, including Homeland Security, including FBI and especially anti-terrorism task forces or anti-terrorism sections of the FBI, including local state law enforcement, has become a magnet for white supremacists and for fascist all of all types, but particularly white supremacists. The percentage of white supremacists and bigots 
that are attracted to law enforcement and also to the military is inordinate and extremely alarming. When the President of the United States comes and says no to critical race studies, he is sending a signal to white supremacists everywhere Welcome, law enforcement is your home. So instead of attempting to teach our law enforcement to be less racist, we are actually sending out a message to law enforcement by saying you can hold the most racist ideas and views and not only will you be able to join law enforcement but we are not even going to trouble you with a counter narrative or with any type of critical perspective because anyone that talks about white supremacy and the history of racism in the United States will get labeled as a bad critical race studies person and will be excluded. For many of us Muslims, either we came to this country or our parents came to this country because in our home countries, dictatorship has made life impossible for us and for our children. A lot of our children who grow up here, they don't realize that they, if they would have grown up back home, their life would have been dramatically different. That they would have grown up in fear, they would have been taught hypocrisy in their schools, they would have been taught to be cowards in order to survive. And so for many of us who came to the United States, we have a distinct sense of what it means to be in a country not ruled, not ruled by tyrants and fascists because with all its flaws or all the flaws of the political system, the political system is still sufficiently democratic that there is a world of difference between life in the United States and life in dictatorial China and dictatorial Russia or the dictatorships that our parents or we came from in Saudi or in Egypt or in the Emirates or, or, or. 
Decisions like this are terrifying because they herald a very alarming future for the United States. What happens when racists and bigots and supremacists enlist in law enforcement and in the military because people who should have done something about it never did and because the political leadership encouraged these people to enlist in law enforcement and the military, eventually comes the day where the supremacists get tired of the political game and usurp power and throw all those who are different and all their opponents in prison and the entire experiment of democracy comes to an end. We don't think of this, but it is percolating all around us all the time. This is extremely dangerous. It is extremely dangerous for the government, for the government to target a critical ideology that wants to promote egalitarianism because the political because the executive branch has appointed itself a censor. And as a censor, it only allows ideas that it approves of and excludes ideas that don't serve its ideological goals. This is precisely how dictatorships are created. But this decision is alarming at another level. Remember that for some time now we've been hearing Muslims pontificating about CRS, critical race studies. And I, when I went back and looked at what these Muslims said about critical race studies, I was truly surprised to find that it is identical to what the White House and the administration said about critical race studies. Is it that the White House cheated from these Muslims? I doubt very much. It's exactly the other way around. These are the same Muslims who despite the Muslim ban, 
despite the xenophobia of the Trump administration, despite the Islamophobia of the Trump administration, have been telling us that Trump is Allah's will and and there are also the same Muslims who are closely allied to the Emirat and they're the same Muslims who pop up here and there with the royal family in the Emirat and with the Trump administration and political appointments and pictures. It is remarkable to find that there are Muslims among us and they are influential Muslims who instead of getting an understanding of intellectual ideas from legitimate intellectual sources are so subservient to the political powers and to Islamophobic political powers that they get their ideas about what is good or bad from those precise political powers. Listen. Put this picture together. For now, for years, we've been seeing evidence that those new Muslims, Muslims of the Egyptian government, Muslims of the Saudi government, Muslims of the Emirati government, not only an extended olive branch to Islamophobes, but now there has been cumulative evidence that they actually are in bed with Islamophobes. That they empower them and legitimate them and even invest money in them. So much so that Fox News' understanding and perception of Islam became the official state position in a country like Egypt. Even recently, the fascist of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, Sisi, gave a khutbah where he says, it's okay for Egyptians to migrate to the West, but if you do, keep your beliefs to yourselves and don't teach people about Islam. Don't try to convert anyone to Islam. For a while now, we see this bizarre dynamic in which, which harkens back to the colonial paradigm of the submissive, servile, slave-like Muslims who are colonized and dominated 
And their response to colonization domination is to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Whatever you want, sir, whatever you want, ma'am. This was a reality. A reality that allowed for the destruction of the caliphate, for the colonization of Muslim lands, and for the loss of Palestine. Now, isn't that very similar to what the South demanded of blacks in the pre-Civil War and even in the post-Civil War era? What did the South demand of blacks? Say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. That servile attitude. If you are dominated and controlled, the only option you have is humility that in truth is absolute humiliation. So, bring the threads together. Recently, after the Emirat and Israel signed their deal, we find that there is a major Emirati investor that invests money, decides to invest money in a Palestinian soccer team, in a Palestinian volleyball team, in a Palestinian basketball team? No. The Emirati investor decides to invest in an Israeli soccer team, and not just any Israeli soccer team, but the Israeli soccer team called Bitar. Bitar is an Israeli soccer team that is positioned, homed in Jerusalem. So investing in Bitar is a further Judaization of Jerusalem. But not only that. Of all the Israeli soccer team, Bitar is known as the most racist and the most Islamophobic. In fact, the fans of Bitar during soccer games, and you can find this on the net, by the way, chant collectively, sing, burn Arabs, burn, we will burn your villages to the ground. And the fans of Bitar, again, you can find it on videos on the net, are known for their chant, Muhammad is dead, Muhammad is dead, you are dead, you are dead. Muhammad refers to the Prophet. So, of all the Israeli teams and all the Palestinian teams, who does the Emirati decide to invest in? It is the most racist and Islamophobic team, the team of Bitar. And when asked, why are you investing in this racist team, the response of this fellow it was that I have been a longtime friend of Moshe Hegag, Hogag, Hogag, Moshe Hogag, Bitar's owner, Bitar's Israeli owner, 
And Moshe Hogan is himself a well-known Islamophobe and a well-known racist. Those who know anything about Emirati politics, it is impossible for an Emirati investor to invest money in an Israeli team without getting at the minimum the okay from the political authorities in the Emirat, because Emirat is a totalitarian, tyrannical state. And in fact, the likelihood is that that Emirati investor has invested in Bitar, cared the commands and instructions of the political authorities in the Emirat. Is a theme emerging here? In the United States, you have a president that runs on an Islamophobic ticket and introduces the Muslim ban, and the folks in Zaytuna tell us, no, Trump is good. He's not that bad. He's Allah's will. They're in the midst of mass demonstrations because of the unlawful killings of blacks. We again have Muslims that come up and say, this racial discourse is haram, it's un-Islamic. All lives matter. And I've talked about this before. Black lives matter Movement is un-Islamic because all lives matter. In the midst of this, we get Islamic circles again saying about intellectual scholarly insights that scrutinize and put the abuses of power under the microscope, in other words, gaze at power, expose power, embarrass power. We have these same Muslim circles tell us, no, critical race studies and embarrassing power like that is un-Islamic. And it just so happens that what they say about these critical methodologies is identical to what the White House says about these critical methodologies. As if they're receiving their marching orders from the White House. as if they are stooges implementing what they're told by the White House or the Emirati government or the Saudi government. Is a picture emerging? If you as a Muslim Refuse to open your eyes and see 
that the betrayal of Palestinian people is wrong and disqualifying, and that the betrayal of Jerusalem is wrong and disqualifying, and that putting your hands in the hands of Islamophobes is wrong and disqualifying, and that the Muslim ban is wrong and disqualifying. If you, as a Muslim, refuse to see that you are seen as a racialized group, no matter how much you want to be white, the minute you become Muslim, you become an other. And the minute you become an other, you are not, even if you are white skin-wise, genetically, biologically, you are not seen as part of the white club. I.e., you're not seen as part of the club of privilege. And as an other, you are subject to domination. And the only time they will like you is when you say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But not only that, you have to prove your fidelity and your loyalty by investing in the most absurd investments like the Emirati investment in Bitar, the Islamophobic, the racist soccer team. The Emiratis are working very hard to please their white master. And the white master will never consider them as equals and will never treat them as white. They haven't realized this. And sadly, they won't realize this for a long time. They can give Israel billions of dollars but Bitar will continue chanting, kill the Arabs, burn the Arabs, Muhammad is dead, so you are dead. One of the most critical things that Islam brought to its followers is summed up in the word Izzah. Reread the seerah. What was the, the, among the most natural and intuitive things taught by the Prophet to his followers? They don't accept humiliation and degradation. That as a Muslim, you're entitled to izza, to dignity. But these people do not get their sense of dignity from Allah or from the Quran. They get their sense of dignity from their masters, from their racial masters from their colonizers. They only feel proud when the Israelis say, bravo, good boy, good girl, 
When the Americans say, bravo, good boy, good girl. When the Trump administration says, bravo, good boy, good girl. When Kushner says, bravo, good boy, good girl. That's the only time they feel any sense of dignity. Recently, one of our Muslim sisters her name is Nusayba a very nice lady a muhajaba very sweet was attending a police commission meeting in Los Angeles Suddenly, police officers from LAPD surround this very nice, non-threatening, sweet lady. Surround her, arrest her, and rip off her hijab. And it turns out that there was no cause for the arrest and that like so many of the targeted attacks at Muslims, it was just to harass Ibu Hajjah. And so she filed a lawsuit against Los Angeles Police Department. Trump's decision to ban what he described as critical race studies from police training and funding of police training. When the federal government does it, state governments follow. Is precisely this lawsuit and what happened with Nusayba is precisely what happens when you don't train law enforcement in race and religious sensitivity and what equal protection of the law means. When you allow for the police departments and for law enforcement to be the haven of racists, precisely what happened to Nisaiba is exactly what is at issue. Don't think that the police are gonna look at Abu Hajjab and say, oh, she's white. Oh, her skin is light, so we're going to think of her as white. If they see a muhajraba, they see someone who, for all practical purposes, is either the equal of black or even less than black. Understand that if a religion that doesn't challenge privilege and power. A religion that doesn't expose the corruptions of privilege and power. A religion that does not empower the disempowered is not worthy of being called a religion. This is 
a point of departure. Are you with the Muslims who reward Islamophobes by giving them billions of dollars while their fellow Muslims are perishing in refugee camps and starving to death? They won't give these people any money, but they'll go give Bitar, the Islamophobic team in Israel, ruled by a racist regime, the regime of Netanyahu, they'll invest billions of dollars in of this. And then there are Muslims who look at this and say, I don't see a problem with the Emirat. This is a government of tolerance. I am proud to be a member of the Council of Fatwa in the Emirat. I'm of course obviously referring to the Zaytuna people. Are you among those Muslims? Or are you a Muslim with ethics and principles who understands that if you hate Muslims, if you ban Muslims, if you usurp Jerusalem, if you betray Palestinian rights, then there is, this is a point of departure. Then there is no way I will look to you for any moral or ethical leadership and no way that I'm going to put my hands in your hands because you have betrayed God and betrayed the Prophet and betrayed Islam and betrayed Muslims. Recently, there was a report that talked about the continuing war crimes committed in Yemen. What was important about this report is that it discussed American responsibility and potential liability for the war crimes committed in Yemen. The Obama administration had undertaken a study in the State Department. The State Department reached a conclusion that by continuing to arm Saudi and the Emirat, U.S. officials are becoming complicit in the war crimes committed in Yemen. Just recently, another school bus full of children was bombed 
killing 55 children going to school. This has been going on for years in Yemen. We Muslims somehow don't even bother following anymore. Because the Obama administration has reached the conclusion that it is possible that American officials would be responsible for war crimes by continuing to arm Saudi and the Emirat. The State Department at the end of the Obama administration reached the decision that the U.S. must promptly stop the exportation of arms of the type that are used in Yemen. When the Trump administration came, the Trump administration not only canceled this decision, but it accelerated arms sales to Saudi so that American officials became more complicit in the war crimes in Yemen. And under international law, it is possible to go after certain American officials for war crimes committed in Yemen. What the, what the Trump administration decided to do in response is to try to hide American responsibility by classifying a lot of the information that documents the trail from the U.S. to the actual war crimes in, in Yemen. Meanwhile, as this is happening, so we are selling more arms, we are weaponizing the destruction and the genocide in Yemen. The U.S. recently, and again, Muslims are so happily oblivious because as long as someone talks to them about nail polish or music, they're blissfully in nirvana. Wait until you meet Allah on the final day. Who will tell you the truth about your state of nirvana. Recently, the United States decided to cut aid to Yemen by nearly 50%. As a result, children are dying at an unprecedented rate in Yemen. So according to this report, so many children are dying from starvation and disease because there are no tests for corona. And corona is everywhere in Yemen. And children are dying left and right. There is so much death that Yemeni officials said, we have stopped counting. We have stopped counting the children who die. The report is called 
the hardest part is when we lose a child. Aid cuts by Trump and some U.S. allies are costing lives in Yemen. September 15. So we sell more arms to use against civilians in Yemen and we cut aid that brings food and medicine to Yemen and at the same time we insist on wasting money on a border wall with Mexico and we insist on policies that make the richer more rich we insist on peace between Yemen, between the Emirates and Israel, and Bahrain and Israel, but we are not concerned at all when it is Muslims dying. You want a word for it? Th thoroughly racist. When all you care about is making sure that no more Israelis are killed. So that's why you want the, the, these, these treaties. You want to protect Israeli lives. That's really what you want. And I'll tell you the proof in one second. But you don't care at all if Sisi is a fascist killing thousands of Egyptians every year. You don't care if MBS is, has killed Khashoggi and our president bragged about how he protected MBS after Khashoggi's assassination. You don't care if Yemenis are dying left and right. In fact, you cut aid and you let thousands of children perish every single day. Why? Because they're Muslim. Imagine if these were whites. Imagine if they were Israelis. Even in our law, Section 207 of the Immigration and Naturalization Act allows the president to grant refugee status and asylum status to people from overseas when they are of special humanitarian concern to the U.S. What does that mean, special humanitarian concern? It means there are people in the world that we actually care about. Do we care about Yemenis? No. Do we care about Somalis? No. People of the right skin color, of the right religion, of the right ideology. So even our laws empower this racism. And then some come and say, no, you, you, we don't need critical race studies. We don't need, which in fact is just a critical methodology. It's not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. It's just a critical methodology. And the part that concerns me the most, and then we have those Muslims that, like, uh, like parrots, say, I mean, yes, 
we have no problems with Yemen. We have no problems with Saudi. We have no problems with Sisi. We don't have no problems with Trump. It's a different religion altogether. I don't see how I can possibly think that we belong to the same faith. Again, recently, Kushner in commenting about, now Kushner is this nobody who is only somebody because he happens to be married to Trump's daughter. And suddenly this nobody is shaping the future of the Middle East. So Kushner recently makes a comment about the treaty between Israel and the Emirat and Bahrain and Israel and brags that now, now Arabs finally, finally can separate their own interests from Palestinian interests. I kid you not. This is in the Times of Israel. A long interview, Kushner says, the accords allow Arab states now to separate their own interests from Palestinians. And he talks about this as a good thing. Now, you Arabs, look after yourselves. Have we seen this before? Absolutely. In every paradigm of colonization and domination, this is precisely what the colonizer does. This is precisely what Southern slave masters said to their slaves. Don't worry about this slave or that slave who's suffering or who's dying from hunger and starvation or who was whipped to death. Look after your own interests. Survive. Any paradigm of colonization doesn't work unless you first teach that who is dominated and colonized to worry about number one and not worry about what they thought were their family, their tribe, their clan, their nation, their people. This is the first step of the ABCs of colonization. Can you imagine Someone coming to the United States and says, oh, finally, let's say Israel is under attack. And someone coming and forcing the U.S. to ignore what Israel is going through and tells the U.S., oh, look after your own interests. Don't worry about Israel. Any American government would be outraged. Who are you to tell me what my loyalties and fidelities should be. 
Kushner is sitting there talking to Arabs and saying, bravo, finally, you realize that you Abu Zabis, Abu Zabians, you Emiratis, look after yourselves. You Bahrainis, look after yourselves. Don't worry about fidelity, loyalty, truth, any of these values and ethics. Where do I learn from this from? From critical race studies. That's exactly the type of critical insight that documents the history of domination and colonization and tells you what is it that supremacists do to dominate and expose what Kushner is doing in the Arab world when he says, finally, Arabs can look after their own interests and not worry about the Palestinians anymore. It's very thoroughly genocidal outlook because it's basically saying, in the same way it tells you don't worry about the Yemenis if they starve to death, you Arabs don't worry about what's happening to the Somalis, you Arabs don't worry about what's happening to the Iraqis as we've killed millions of Iraqis, you Muslims don't worry about what's happening to the Afghanis. You Muslims don't worry about what's happening to the Muslims in China. You Muslims don't worry about what's happening to the Palestinians. Recently, I've mentioned this before, Disneyland, Walt Disney or whatever, came out with this movie, Mulan. And as I mentioned before, Mulan was filmed in part in the Yingyang, in the Yingyang province in East Turkmenistan, where the genocide against Muslims is taking place. And Disney worked with the genocidal government the response of Muslims must be clear and precise and vigorous boycotting the movie and in fact boycotting Disney because they dared work with a fascist, genocidal, holocaust government. But I am willing to bet that the same people that te teach you submission and servitude, I am willing to bet that the same people who don't see a problem with the Muslim ban, who tell you, it's okay if the Emirat does whatever, or don't worry about it, who never talk about what's going on in Yemen or what's going on anywhere, these same Muslims will try to divert your attention and keep you busy with things like nail polish and hygiene and myth, stories of myths. One final point. Some people tell me 
these khutbas depress us. These khutbas are so depressing. And then you wonder why no one listens to them. People don't want to be depressed. Well, I'm sorry, but the honorable Maruf and Nahyan and Munkar was never a cheerleading activity. We don't engage in an honorable Maruf and Nahyan and Munkar as cheerleaders. The, and I do not talk about these issues to induce an emotional state in you. I don't care if you are sad about it or not sad about it. The reason I talk to you about this is because I want to induce action. I want change. I want that the point gets across that if you're an Islamophobe and you trash Muslims, Muslims will remember and will react and will rebel and will stand up for their own dignity. If you ban Muslims, Muslims are not going to apologetically excuse it and philosophize it. But that Muslims will remember and say, we will punish you by voting you out of office for banning us. I want us to care about Muslims that are dying in China and in Yemen and Kashmir and elsewhere. But I want you to care not just by giving money, but by speaking through your votes and speaking through who you ostracize in the Muslim community and who you support. Every time you support a Muslim institution that doesn't take a firm stand, very concretely, till our very day, the Islamic Center of Southern California banned me because I criticized a fascist Nazi like Sisi in Egypt. Were there any consequences? Did the Islamic Center of Southern California lose anything? This is precisely why I talk about this. Because ideally, we as Muslims would be all outraged at a president of a Muslim country who has destroyed more than a thousand mosques in less than a year. And we would be outraged at the Islamic Center of Southern California for exercising censorship in support of a fascist dictator. And we would tell the Islamic Center, like we would tell Zaytuna, like we would tell every other organization that takes a stand with tyrants. We are not going to support you financially. We are not going to support you in any other way until you change and reform yourself. This is why I talk about these issues. Not to give you, not to 
give you a downer, not to make you sad, not to ruin your mood. But because we will meet Allah in the final day. And Allah will ask us, what have you done? From what have you done about Mulan to what have you done about the racism in your own country that, you, that infects your law enforcement? What have you done about injustice? What have you done about impression? What have you done about human suffering? Being selfish and self-centered. You don't really need Islam for that. You can be selfish and self-centered without religion. The, the, the whole point of religion is to resist selfishness and self-centeredness. Think about it. What is the point of religion if it doesn't do that? If religion is really has anything to contribute, it would be precisely that. Allahumma fa'anna, Allahumma khfir lana, Allahumma arhamna ya Ali ya Azim, Allahumma ansur al-Islam wa'izz al-Muslimin ya Rabbil Alameen. Allah forgive our sins, grant us guidance so that we remain on the straight path. Bless us with your forgiveness and your light and your guidance. Bless us with the understanding of your path, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbil Alameen, and grant us with courage to stand up for your principles and against injustice and suffering and despotism and domination. Ya Ali, Ya Azim, Wa Akum As-Salaam.